Check. Oh, you know, I'm kind of far away from the mic. Hold on. All right, how's that? Is that better? Coming in at about negative eight. Well, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good day, good whatever time it is that you're sitting down and catching up on your podcasts for the week. You are listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 20. We've been doing this now for uh, 40 weeks, give or take. Um, I'm uh, pretty impressed, surprised that we haven't burnt out decided to quit uh, web development altogether. So here we are. Uh, I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your co-host, Aaron Hill, and I think we're getting ready to, to give birth to our podcast baby now, right? 40 weeks. <laughs> I think, uh, and Aaron was had the bright idea towards the end of the year, we'll do like a little... Uh, uh, around you know, what we've learned over the course of this past year and um, share some thoughts about, you know, what it takes to put all of this together and do, you know, what is, what do we do seven months at this point? Mm-hmm. So I think that'll be fun. Transcripts. Um, we'll, yeah. Tra- transcripts are <laughs> playing a heavy role. Um, if you want to check out the Drunken UX podcast run by Facebook or Twitter, we are slash Drunken UX there. We're on Instagram at slash Drunken UX podcast. I'm going to reach out to the person who has the Drunken UX Instagram account because they don't use it. And I'm going to take the chance that maybe I can convince huh. them to give it to me if they even, you know, if it's not a bot like that, we'll see. That'd be cool. So for now, it's Drunken UX podcast. Yeah, for now, it's Drunken UX podcast. Yeah. I, I can't fix that. Um, but and we'll post uh, some pictures here in a little bit of what we're drinking. Yep. What are you drinking tonight, Michael? We've got a, we've we've all taken a page from each other. Um, I'm going the direction of bourbon this week, not scotch. So um, still whiskey, different grain. Yeah. Uh, Maker's forty six. I I have nice. been training myself to like bourbon more and more, and Maker's forty six I rather <laughs> in, enjoy. And I, I we've got a guest with us this evening that I believe knows quite a bit about bourbon. So um, he may. Uh, I don't know if he, he's going to turn his nose up at me or not, but I've got two bottles of that on my shelf right now. So. <laughs> okay, so I, I chose well. Apparently, I feel good about that. Aaron, what do you got, man? I've got. I got picked up a bottle of Angel's Envy. Uh, it's my first time having this one. It's pretty nice. It's. Uh, I love the it? bottle. The bottle is gorgeous. It's I've got the photo bottle. that I'll be sending you to put up on Graham. Is uh, it's got a the bottle in the background, so you can see it. Yeah, nice. Um, it's really cool. I I like. I, I like Makers 46. I like Angel's Envy. Um, Jefferson's Ocean, I really like. Um, it's, I thought it was really gimmicky huh. when I picked it up, um, but it really does have like a really kind of cool, salty, sort of briny flavor to it that is very nice. Um, huh. I've, I've been learning. I'm learning more about bourbon. Um, I know scotch inside and out, but bourbon I'm still kind of figuring out. But <laughs> Is that where they take, like, do they take barrels from sunken ships and then use those to do the aging no what what they do is they take uh <laughs> like just very you know whatever i think bourbon is uh new oak i think is what they use um and they put it on just like a container ship you know a normal oh shipping container title that goes back and forth to china africa or wherever and so it ages on the sea? so it literally ages on the boat as it travels its courses and so you look at the bottles they've got like a voyage number 
on the the neck of the bottle, and you can go back to their website or whatever and look up Whoa. where that bottle you know went and traveled. And so, and each batch is supposed to be a little different because of where it went. But okay, that um, is gimmicky, but that is really cool. <laughs> it's it's gimmicky, but like I say I enjoy it. I think it's it's got a neat flavor that is distinct for what it is. So cool. Yeah, right on. Joel is joining us this evening. Uh, I know he's also got a nice little glass there. We were talking about it earlier. Why don't you tell everybody what you're drinking? Yeah, it's this uh, great Irish distillery uh, called Teeling. I'm drinking their uh, single malt. Uh, they also have a single grain and a small batch that they distribute in the United States. But I had the chance to go to their distillery about three years ago, and it was a lot of fun. And it's... Um, you know, whatever you've heard about Irish whiskey in the past, uh, whether it was just Jameson or Powers <laughs> or whatever you could scrape out of the bar next door. Uh, this is a this is this is like, you know, fancy scotch level whiskey. Uh, it's delicious. Cool. Can you get it in the States? Yeah, or... you can. They distribute in the States now. They're pretty much everywhere at this point. What's the cool. age on it? Do they are they require like, you know, scotch has to age them of. Yeah, you know, was it three years or something like that? Right. So they're actually they're they're blending right now. They're they're fairly new out. Well, they're they're actually the oldest uh, whiskey distillery in Dublin, uh, but they shut down for you know fifty or sixty years and then started back up about eight years ago. So they're just coming up on uh, you know sort of their their first tastes of some of the age stuff that they've been doing themselves. Um, but for now, they've been blending from uh, from other places. So. Um, that's cool yeah it's no there's no hard and fast rule in in irish <laughs> yeah always looking for something new to try and uh, i don't remember who it was that recommended monkey shoulder to me and i'm i don't drink mm. a lot of blended scotch but i was like the name's cool i trusted whoever it was that was recommending it to me so i'll try some and i was really impressed with that and so and i'm and some good scotches in that blend. yeah there's <laughs> real good scotch in that uh what is it? it's uh it's uh Kinenshi, uh Bavani and uh, something else uh, yeah i forget the other one and the funny part is the one i'm forgetting is the other well-known one <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah the idea of like yeah, yeah. A, a good eye because i don't like i mean i'll drink Jameson. i don't like it uh but i don't drink it the way i drink scotch like i take a shot of jameson no um <laughs> but having like a good like sipping irish whiskey would be i think a, a, an right. interesting treat yeah totally recommend the teeling whiskeys they're they're delicious Okay, uh, to get started this awesome. evening, we'll come back to Joel in a minute. He's serving a very important on tonight's episode. Um, obviously, as the guest, he's going to bring us a little bit of, of experience and knowledge and a topic that we have yet to reveal to you. I want to start, though, real fast, and this kind of is off the cuff, but I saw it earlier, and, and I think probably some other folks um, heard about Amazon announcing a bunch of new home devices, car devices, Echo, um, and Alexa-powered devices, everything from... Stuff connected to the Ring brand that they acquired earlier this year to uh, a microwave that will order popcorn what? for you. Um, what? Yeah. No, they went hard. A clock. Um, what is the clock order? More time? <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know what the clock does. I have no doubt it does something special. But um, well, the, the thing that I saw and when I started reading about it, it almost felt too good to be true for me because it fits my needs exactly and that's the fire tv recast you know what the fire tv is yeah yeah the the deal i've got two of them in the house right i've got two of those and i've got a chromecast right i almost never use the chromecast once in a great while right. um but i use our fire tvs a lot I've got one in the bedroom i've got one right here in my office and 
it has turned out to be, you know, it's, it works well. The little remote on it is really nice. Um, and I've gotten to where I'm using it a lot. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a cord cutter. Um, we've talked, you know, back in, in past episodes about uh, using DirecTV now or some of these services for. Uh, that goes way back. Uh, yeah. It was like our 34th episode. Right? Early episode. Um, yeah. But this idea that, you know, I don't need a cable subscription now to get all of the TV that I don't watch. <laughs> um Right. But we do get um, – what I've got is I've got a home theater PC. I've got Cody running on it with a TV tuner card, and I've got a, an antenna hooked up to it to record uh, the network stations. Um, I'm I'm a football guy. Okay. I love this time of year. I need NBC. I need Fox. I need to be able to to watch my football games. Um, so we run the antenna, and then we supplement that with DirecTV now. And I have this stupid mix of Cody – and PVR software that has to run a uh, perhaps blue ribbon. A what? No. Oh, PVR. PVR. You. We are going to take away your ability to name acronyms. This is not <laughs> going well. Uh, <laughs> oh, but it's so fun though. <laughs> it, so it, it. There's a script that runs what to else? go get the TV listings and port it into all. It's it's a nightmare. It works. I it, it, and it works well for me, but it's a nightmare. So it, what? Amazon has done is they have solved my exact problem and they have released this or they will be releasing this little box it's 230 bucks um and it is designed to be hooked up to an over the air antenna and it serves as a DVR for network stations Whoa. that ties into your net your home network and lets you stream all of that television to all of your Fire TV devices huh okay that's pretty cool it's pretty cool uh, and it solves our exact problem in that now I can have it record everything. Of course, it's I have no doubt it will have the guide and everything built into it. Mm-hmm. So it gets rid of the scripting needs that I've got. Uh, it gets rid of a whole PC because I literally have a Windows machine that has to run all this. I can get rid of that whole computer. Um, all of like my home media is on a network drive already, so I can point Plex or something like that at it. Uh, and now I just have this one little tiny box that records TV for me. Um, and that's me. You can watch it too. Obviously it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't nice. just record, but what's the storage capacity. It's, cool to tell. it's, it's, it's a small market kind of item, I think, but to drive, you know, with, with the importance they're placing on Amazon prime, you know, trying to compete with Netflix for, you know, original programming and things like that. And, uh, and this is just in, syndicated. It's just intended for time shifting, right? Not for like archiving. Like you might like how you might use a TiVo where you're just recording 10 20 episodes of something. Yeah, it, it's a DVR. It's got 500 yeah. gigs or I guess terabyte okay. there's two two versions of it. And one's got two tuners, one's got four tuners. So if you're really heavy into, you know, recording all the things, I, I don't need that much, but like <laughs> I've been looking at our home theater PC that I use and it's starting to age. It's slowing down, it crashes every once in a while. The PBR software I use and the the TV tuner mm-hmm. card locks up. Um, every once in a while. So rebuilding that machine is going to cost me more than the cost of this little box anyway. Um, so that by itself kind of <laughs> pays for it. So I just, right. I know this, that's not web related. It's not developed. Related. I just think it's neat. Um, and I wanted to show my support. I, was, I, I haven't bought into Amazon's ecosystem, but I think they're totally beating cool. out Google when it comes to, Fire T versus Chromecast, mm-hmm. uh, and they are clearly going hard into the home uh, Internet of Things mentality. So Cro- Chromecast seems like 
it's like it seems like typical Google where they have a really cool idea. It's like check out this cool thing we made, isn't it neat? And then they don't follow through with it. <laughs> it's it's a fire. Stick. It seems like they have a lot of advantages like of the fire stick, basically. Well, I, I don't can can you like cat like the thing that I remember really enjoying about the Chromecast that I think my mom has one is uh, I was out there for the holidays one time and my siblings and I were all like adding YouTube videos to the queue and then it would play the videos from the queue and I thought that was really cool or how you can like cast yeah. stuff directly from your mobile device to your television and I don't can the fire stick do that you can cast to a fire okay. stick I think there's something special you have to do to enable it or okay. something like that I, I don't do it enough and that's kind of the thing about the Chromecast is yeah. like what you mentioned and, and queuing stuff stuff up is cool I have yeah. never once had people over to actually do that it's kind of fun, but I mean, it's like, and it's not worth 30 bucks for that, but yeah, it's just, yeah. it's so limited in that sense. And it's nice. Like I've used it before, for instance, and to just to shit on direct TV now a little bit, um, <laughs> whenever that had problems for me on in Chrome, I can usually pull it up on a mobile device and then I could just be like, yeah, just cast it and be done. Um, but that's just, you know, it, it's a fallback for me. It's not the actual way I do it. So and I haven't had that problem with the, with the fire stick. It's just worked. So I cool. Um, this evening though, we have with us Joel Goodman, who Joel is has served as a creative and art director over the years. Um, he directed web development over at Trinity National University and Greenville College, um, now Greenville University, and he currently owns and operates a company called Bravery Media out of the wild west town of austin texas um it doesn't get much more country than austin these days right i mean it, it's the only city in texas that you would ever want to live in but Ouch. it's usually not because of the cowboy stuff <laughs> it's the capital right it is the state capital and are you remind me um because i you've moved around between the college and and this are you from texas or no no, so I, I grew up in Southern California and then uh, went to college outside of St. Louis uh, at Greenville College and then graduated, couldn't, you know, typical, couldn't, couldn't get a job right out of college sort of deal, you know, right, right around, right around 2006. And so I uh, <laughs> started working at Greenville College and then, uh, and then moved up to Chicago uh, and worked at Trinity and then, uh, and then moved down to Austin. Wow. Okay. Um, so Joel is here to talk to us. And this is, I was thinking, I was thinking about this earlier and this is going to be kind of a really big build process episode, so to speak. And what we, what we want to do is talk about this journey that Joel has gone on from working for other people to working for himself and what it takes to become a web developer and run their own business who can handle, you know, their own clientele and, not just go out on your own, but what it takes to do that and what it takes to kind of, you know, be successful at that. Because at some point in in virtually every designer or developer's career, they're going to take on side work. And they're gonna think, this is cool. I could just do this instead of what I'm already doing because it's convenient. I can work from home. I can, you know, it's so many people on web development and, and design because it feels convenient. And there are certain luxuries afforded to that um, if you feel inclined to take advantage of them. But it's definitely not that easy. And there are a lot, a lot of risks associated with it. So we wanted to 
talk about that. And I want to start at the the start, obviously. So Joel, you're running a company called Bravery Media. Um, let's talk first about what it is that, you know, what Bravery Media is, what you do, where it's been, and and that foundation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I mean, my, like I was saying, my my background is uh, in in higher education, much like Michael's, much like Aaron's. Uh, I uh, had been working at, at these two different institutions for about six years, and realized that I wasn't. Uh, well, I was about to hit a wall. Like I wasn't going to do anything else better for the university I was at. They had too many systemic problems that were just weren't solvable. And uh, for me, one of the biggest frustrations in higher ed is knowing what exactly uh, is wrong and knowing that you're either going to sit and fight it for six years to not actually fix it, um, or you're just going to become kind of complacent there. And so I'd, I'd been doing a lot of, a lot of side work, um, mostly WordPress sites. I had worked with a design oh, agency cool. out of Los Angeles, uh, a friend of mine from actually an internship I had my senior year of college. And he had left and started uh, designing websites for bands and actors and radio stations and you know, just all kinds of just random stuff. And so I had, I had started working with him actually when I was still at Greenville, uh, working on building these WordPress sites. And it's kind of how I cut my teeth in, <laughs> in the whole web design development uh, arena, so to speak. Um, I've, I mean, I've always, I've always built websites. You know, I remember like sitting, sitting at my, <laughs> uh, my, win my windows 98 computer in, uh, uh you know, in, in early junior high with the <laughs> HTML 4.01 Bible in my lap and, yeah. and, you know, notepad out and <laughs> trying to just <laughs> write, write table-based yeah. uh, websites uh, with font tags and inline so stuff. You're, you're about <laughs> the same age as Pretty we close. are, I think, maybe yeah, a year a little bit younger. So yeah, that's, we all came up kind of in that same era though, in terms of <laughs> you, you sit down one day and you think I can do yeah. this. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to go over to it? Barnes and Noble and, and buy that, uh, that learn PHP in a weekend book and sit down and learn PHP in a weekend. You know, I never did that. I thought about it a, quite a few times, but <laughs> never actually did it. I should have. Um, but so bravery, I, I, you know, I got to the, I, I got to the point where I I'd finished a master's degree. I, I wasn't, I was pretty much done with what I could do or felt like I was done with what I could do at the university I was at and uh, decided that I, I had enough of a, of a network in higher ed in particular uh, and had a strong enough portfolio of just design work that I had been doing just kind of spot uh, WordPress sites for, you know, something like something like four years of just regular, random WordPress sites that it would be okay for me to step out and, and start my own company. Um, and because web design <laughs> development was what I knew that that was kind of the, the obvious, nice. the obvious choice, uh, for me. And so, uh, my wife actually hopped on Google and searched where the young kids moving and Austin, Texas popped <laughs> up and we, we moved out to Austin. And that's, uh, you talk, your, your name is bravery media. And I just need to kind of acknowledge how truly brave that is because that is not an uncompetitive market to move into and say, I'm going to go do web development in Austin where, uh, yeah. cause you know, South by Southwest is, you know, that, you know, that's their home. That is the place to be doing that right now. So there is a, certainly a, you know, I mentioned yeah. the risk involved when you start your own business and go out on your own and you kind of, 
just said, screw it, let's do it. I, I kind of got I kind of got lucky a little bit because um, I hit right before right before the giant <laughs> like tech boom 2.0 because like Austin had its first tech boom back in the 90s when Dell opened up and um, it was very hardware centric. They were it was we're selling lots of computers and we're doing med tech and you know like that kind of stuff and uh, and eventually you you know Dell uh, kind of died for a bit and, and then they had a rebirth um, but I I hit I hit austin at a time when uh there there were definitely startups here there there was a tech scene uh, but it wasn't in this frenzied uh you know oh my gosh we get, everyone's got to move to austin and start a business I, it, it just wasn't that yet <laughs> that was like a, that was probably seven to eight months after we moved here and so i think i kind of lucked out a little bit um so I, I don't know if it was bravery or just you know being extremely naive uh but i uh i made it work i mean yeah any business needs you and you you, listen, you know guys like mark cuban or, or uh or any of those folks that they'll tell you you have to stick your neck out if you're gonna take that chance and if you don't do it oh, totally you, know, you have no chance if you don't put it on the line once in a while and i admit you know to myself that that's probably one of my big failings you know as a business person is that I don't take enough risk um, because I mm. measure stuff mm. and I look at my mortgage and, and I look at the bills and I think, eh, well, let's, let's not put that at risk just yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my, my wife is uh, super, super gracious and forgiving and actually likes a little bit of excitement and change every now and again. And so I, <laughs> you know, I, I lucked out on, on that side of things too, but it, uh, it's true. If you don't, you know, if you don't take any kind of a chance, like it's, it's not, you know, nothing's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta spend risk to, I don't know, spend risk to make risk. No, that's not, that's not the saying. <laughs> that's not the saying. What is it they say? Like, uh, yeah. The ships are safest in the Harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. I just, uh, just, uh, yeah. You know, it's like my t-shirt tonight, get push, get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that shirt, and I want one. Um, that's, a, that's a good shirt. Um, so let's talk about first the obvious thing. So, Bravery Media right. is the company. I and I, I've done this. I you know when I've had full time jobs, I've gone out. I've people have come to me. Sometimes they've found me rather than me find them. They say, "Hey, come, will you do this for us?" And I've moonlighted. Um, and I was just you know I, I was the word. I was right. freelancing. Um, uh, you know, that was just extra money. You just throw it in on your, uh, your 1040 at the end of the year and you're good to go. What distinguishes, you know, for folks thinking about this and thinking, well, I, I can go work on my own. What do you see that distinguishes freelancing from having an actual small business in this environment? Sure. I think, I mean, to start off, I think it's just positioning. A lot of it's a lot of it's marketing. Uh, for me, initially, it was just me, um, and uh, I started my business and didn't want to be a freelancer. I think I wanted to, you know, at least try to get a little bit more respect or a little bit more trust out of my clients. And so I, I called uh, I, I called myself a boutique web shop. Um, <laughs> I, I had uh, I definitely had some subcontractors, and I think that's kind of 
for, for me, that's where I draw the line. I think, I think it's different for, you know, for anyone that's running a business, but for me, it's when I'm actually managing other people, whether they're people that are, you know, full-time employees, which I don't have any right now. Uh, but that's coming, uh, or it's just, you know, the, the 15, 15 plus subcontractors that I had at any given time last year, that, that to me kind of pushes you into small business realm versus just, Hey, I'm the freelancer because when you're a freelancer, I mean, yeah, sure. You might, you know, I mean, here's, here's a secret for your listeners. Like some freelancers do shop out their work to, uh, to, you know, offshore overseas people. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying they'll go on Upwork and they'll, they'll hire some people that does happen. I never did it. I shopped out work to people that I knew and that I trusted, um, as, as a principal. And I, and I still, I still do that as a principal. I go to, you know, actual developers and actual designers that I have relationships with, or that I can develop a quick relationship with through another friend or another contact that I have and use them. Uh, but I think that's a little bit different when you're just one person doing kind of a, you know, a small to medium sized project, and maybe you'll hire out some cheap labor to help you out with something here or there. That's freelancing to me. Uh, small business gets into you're you're dealing with usually with larger clients. It doesn't have to be larger clients. Um, you may just have more projects going on at a given time than one or two. I mean, I there were times I had eight projects going on at any given time. And I would not have thought of myself as a freelancer because I was doing way too much work. And um, that wasn't a healthy time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've all hit that wall at no some doubt. point. More than once occasionally. No um, so if for you in particular, um, and you, you'd mentioned, and I, I uh, maybe I missed, you said you, you got your master's. What was that in? Yeah, so I did a I did a master's in media studies uh, online through the New School uh, for Public Engagement in New York City. Uh, it took me, I think it took me five semesters. Um, and I, for me, you know, most people are like, "Wow, you got your got your degree in something that's not really useful at all." Because uh, wow, media studies great. It's like if I wanted to go teach or do research, wonderful. Um, <laughs> But for me, it was really that I I had been doing a lot of stuff. Like I had been building websites, and I'd been uh, I'd been kind of like crafting web marketing plans, and doing social media, and doing you know creating these weird, elaborate like Facebook and web based games to try and fight melt for our incoming students, and and you know that's that sort of thing. Um, I had I hadn't really taken the time to stop and think about the theory side of it. And so I wanted to go, I wanted to do a, a master's program that would help me think about some of that stuff and get some of the history and context to the stuff that I was already doing. I didn't feel like I needed to go out and get like an MBA. Like, I mean, that can be helpful for some people. Sometimes I wish I had an MBA, but at the same time, I can learn, I can learn all that stuff separately. And I don't really care about the MBA uh, title <laughs> at all. Um, so it really goes back to the, you know, the, what you're saying reminds me of when we had Greg Padanovich on um, back in episode 14, talking design philosophy. And so much of what goes into design philosophy is, is very academic in nature. Yeah. And it really, when you start taking the time to learn that stuff, that's when you really elevate, I think, uh, you know, both your experience mm -hmm. and your ability, because now you can make educated uh, suggestions. You can defend 
pitches to clients and things like that in ways that, for instance, a freelancer maybe can't. Um, you know, freelancer is sort of the, the AAA league, so to speak. And then, you know, the, the business person is the one who has now entered the pros in that way. Right. The, the business person is the one that um, when you're an employee, the uh, management will always trust the business person over your opinion. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. For, for me, it was it was really just another input for creativity. It was, you know, I, I wanted I wanted more more fodder for thinking about how do I do design? How do we communicate better to people? How do we, uh, you know, when we we for a while we've done logo we've done logos. So we you know there was probably a good two years where we did a ton of logo work for people. Um, I'm terrible at identity. I'm really good at the concepting part of it, but the execution is, isn't really my strong suit. And so I would bring on uh, other designers that, that I've known for years who are really good at that execution side. And so having all of this input in terms of like semiotic theory, actually Aaron and I were talking about yeah. a little bit about this earlier, uh, you know, having a, having a basis for semiotic theory and how do you like pack as many different symbols into the one icon that you're going to use. How do you, you know, color theory and, and typography and all this stuff that makes uh, people have an emotional connection with your, with your website or, or with your app or whatever it is. Um, having, having the background that I got for, you know, in my masters was only helpful in that. And it's stuff that it would have taken me a lot longer because I would have, I think I'd have a hard time staying focused without the, you know, the rigid academic program to, you know, throw books at me and say, read this, read this, read, you know, and then having to write papers about it and everything else. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I, I think those sorts of input points are, are crucial to, to staying relevant and, and being good at what you do. I think media studies sort of, I, I know you were kind of joking about it earlier, but I, I mean, I think that at its core, it's a communications program, right? Like it's, uh, sort like so. I went. I have a communication background, uh, from from undergrad, and so I kind of went at it in that direction. Okay, it, it's weird though because it also comprises like. I mean, I guess you could you could boil it down to that. It comprises like film studies and stuff like that, which okay. a lot of times would be in other departments. But um, but yeah, I, I think. I think it's a very safe assumption to think that it's a communication degree, um, but they, I don't think many of the professors would say that. <laughs> so like, in working in web, like web is at its core communication medium yeah. and it's really yeah. easy to get lost in the uh, like, oh, we need to have a logo. We need to have a masthead. We need to have a website. We need to have an email form, et cetera. But like, if you're not thinking about it from a communication standpoint or like messaging or branding or anything else, you're just kind of spinning your wheels and or and or throwing mud at a wall. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's completely true. I, I love too the sort of vulnerability of hearing somebody else say like, I, you know, I got this degree. I don't know how, how useful it is necessarily. Cause I, I emphasize a lot that I have a communication degree. I don't have a master's. I, I only have a BA. Um, but I, I value my communications degree. However, the emphasis of my program was theater. And I, I yeah. always go out of my way to tell people that because I think it's important to understand that, A, there are a lot of cross-valuable skills and things that you learn that can be applied sure. to places. But the other side of it is that it, studying one thing does not shoehorn you into the career that you end up in, whether – I kind of fell into web development. Right. I built websites for a long time, but I didn't 
choose it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm 36 and I'm still faking it till I make it, brother. <laughs> uh, what's are you what's just, the old You're really just you're just method acting a web developer, aren't you? What what's the uh the the phrase that as long as you walk into a room and say it with authority, you can convince people of anything. So <laughs> That's that's your next conference talk is right. method acting through right. imposter syndrome. I, yeah, I mean and I I think that's an important point, you know. It doesn't really matter what degree you got like i i'm a big proponent of the liberal arts because i personally have benefited a ton from uh you know having all these different ideas and being able to kind of like meld them together and uh i'm uh, you know I, that's that's why i can go and speak at a content strategy conference and i'm not i'm not really a content strategist but i mm -hmm. but i am at the same time you know it's not i wouldn't say that's like my primary job ever and uh you know i have i have friends and colleagues that you know are, are getting master's degrees in in ux design and i'm you know i i do a lot of ux design but i i don't necessarily like have that whole academic side of it and i don't necessarily know that mm -hmm. that i want to like i, I mean so part of me wants to but part of me also doesn't want to spend yeah. all the time and money doing it um so but it's you know it's it's a it's interesting to be able to have uh have these degrees that you know aren't necessarily what we're doing today but but being able to, you know, being people that are equipped to to pull out the parts that are relevant to the job that you're doing now, and being able to pl apply that in whatever situation it is. Yeah, so speaking about like what you're applying and and what you're focusing on there, um, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but I'm assuming <laughs> that you aren't great at everything. Um, you have strengths <laughs> and, and weaknesses as, as much as any of us. Tell me how you really feel, yeah, Michael. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, what, what, the question that I'm driving at is uh, what parts of this process do you enjoy the most as far as like when you sit down with a client and or somebody brings a project to you, which parts of that get you most excited and are, sure. and are you most eager to sink your teeth in more than others? Yeah, I, this has changed a ton over time. I mean, Bravery has been operating for six years and then I had six years at, at two universities before that. Um and so this has changed. There, there are times uh, in my career where I have loved doing the design side of it. Like, and I, and I remember like I, I never considered myself a designer, and then someone called me a designer, and I felt really great about myself. Like, really, you think my designs are good? And then I was like, yes, I'm gonna keep designing. And then you know, in my head, I'm like, Ugh, I hate all this stuff that I'm designing. Like, it's just really not, you know. And and I have. I have so many friends in Austin in the design scene that are incredible designers. They, they do spectacular work and I'm lucky to be able to like hire them on for projects occasionally, but even luckier just to be able to hang out with them and see the work they're doing and have, you know, fun conversations and stuff. Uh, and there have been times when I loved doing all the development and it was like, uh, I think part of that is, you know, it, you guys probably have this, this same, uh, this the same sort of outlook on it if you give development over to someone else they're gonna <laughs> do it time. wrong um, even if they do it right if it's them doing it it's wrong <laughs> and that's really it's wrong even if they yeah. do it right yeah it's gonna be like well i would have done this part <sighs> this way and um and that's i mean that's been a very difficult and challenging thing in my business because they're you know the first two or three years it was it was me like i was doing everything end to end. I might, I might have a person that could step in and help me out if I needed, if I needed a lot of issues, like a lot of help with something, but I, you know, 
the the margins were low. I wasn't able to charge a you know a proper rate for for the work I was doing in a lot of cases, and um, yeah, it's uh that was really draining and got me to the point where you know at this point I'm kind of like, yeah, I can I can do it. Like I can I can dive in and write some really badass SaaS and like you know set up a really a really awesome website that does everything that I want to do. You know, you go and use like CSS grid and all kinds of crazy positioning stuff. I just got to use position sticky on a project recently. It was amazing. Um, you know, like all the, all this new or semi new stuff that's sitting in CSS or, you know, like feeling, feeling those, those little wins when you figure something out in PHP or in Ruby or in node or whatever. Every time I use flex, I feel like a wizard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's really uh it's really like a self congratulatory sort of uh, CSS uh, property there. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, at this point what what I really love is the strategy side of it, and I think part of it is that I see I see a lot of the same stuff happening in in you know in higher ed products in general and in other places too. It's like okay, here's the strategy. And it's a strategy that's been repurposed for four or five other clients that you know. Mm whatever agency has and you know for me like i like coming in and saying wait wait wait! just because this worked over here doesn't mean it's going to work here let's see if it's going to work let's look at let's look at the students you have the audiences you have let's look at the goals you have and maybe parts of what i did are going to fit but i like improving on all those stuff or all those things all the time you know like every time i go into a project i want to go and you know, use something that I learned the last time around, but make it better and kind of expand it. And so doing, doing strategy, whether that's, you know, the actual strategy side of, uh, setting up a website, I don't really like doing the information architecture stuff, but I do like doing uh, conversion rate optimization, uh, type of types of things. Um, I like to do general optimizations, like speed, like fixing, you know, code therapy actually, for some reason makes me feel pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that phrase. Oh I've ne- I haven't heard that before, but I love that I the idea right? conveyed yeah. by code therapy. There's a lot is... of code that needs a lot of therapy out there. Um <laughs> you could create the next industry around a phrase like that. So keep that in your back pocket. It's code therapy. Yeah, so it's um yeah, I I like I like doing all the planning and, and strategic things. Those are the things that make me feel uh the the best about myself and about my uh my talents and um yeah that's that's kind of i mean this year that's basically what i've been doing it's been a lot of strategy work uh last year was a lot of design development uh with some strategy and now the strategy side's kind of shifted over and that's to me that's i don't know i I feel like that's where the biggest gains are you know content strategy actual digital strategy like digging into like setting up websites even like tech stacks and making recommendations that's you know it's it's true you always want to be a consultant at some point in your career <laughs> what's what's the stuff what's the stuff you still want to do though like if you've done all those things so yeah so i um we're i bravery has been going pretty well for six years um we i mean yeah i i'm not i'm not hungry i have bought many guitars uh <laughs> it is you are in austin i'm drinking i'm drinking a ni- i'm drinking a nice whiskey right now bravery's <laughs> bravery's been been really good um and when i started bravery a lot of my mentality was i don't want to work on one thing forever i want projects i want projects i want projects and now i i kind of just want to build products and hmm. find ways to develop tools that can be used 
uh, within these uh, different websites, uh, probably starting with higher ed, because that's, that's the vertical that I know, and that's where I have the best connections. Um, but I, I think that's, that's probably the next, the next frontier um, with this. I, I would, I would honestly like bravery to have, you know, actual full-time employees and, and be at a point where I can start developing a company culture and also just take care of a lot of the the workers that, uh, you know, I kind of, I like throwing them spot work during the year, but I'm also just like, man, it'd be really cool if I could like hire them full time and pay them a really good wage and, you know, like, like retain their skills forever. Like those are things, those are things that have, that we haven't been at a place yet where we can make that happen, but I I still want it to happen. And that's, that's kind of what I'm working toward. Man, I was looking for a philosophical answer there and you went somewhere that I think is even better. That that idea of <laughs> of being able to say like the thing I haven't done yet is give other people a career is kind of like that's like yeah. the ultimate answer. So <laughs> that's like the meta career. I, I swear, man, I've done every I've done everything I feel like I can to try to give people as close to that as I can. But it, it's it, once once we kind of turn the corner and I'm able to actually give people that kind of security, um, you know, and even be able to give myself that kind of security because. I'm still at the point where like, you know, I'll, I'll build a project and it's, it, this will, we'll probably talk more about this in part two of the show, but like, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll still take, uh, take jobs and then just like put a giant amount of money in the bank just to have padding in case I don't get another job for four or five months and, <laughs> and be able to live on that. Um, and cause sometimes that's the reality of, of doing this kind of work. Right. Yeah. And so. We aren't done yet. We're going to take a break and we're going to go refill our glasses and go to the bathroom. Probably some of us, maybe I am. I need to. Sorry, guys. Uh, TMI. I'm drinking makers. This is what happens. Um, the In the next half, we're going to be talking more, though, about the actual logistics of how do you start this? What, you know, what you need to think about to be successful? What tools are important to running, you know, a good little small web development business? and uh, a whole lot more. So sit back, relax, go refill your glasses. We will refill ours and we will be back in about, give us 45 seconds. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. Are you trying to build a case around an interactive map for your school, city, or business? NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. Their team of professional cartographers specialize in map illustrations and are ready to design a rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all your users' devices with responsive maps that scale and blend in seamlessly with your website. Visit them online to request a demo at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Hey folks. Thanks for sticking with us. You've been listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 20. I haven't thought of a title yet, but I'll think of it before it goes live. I promise you that. I am Michael Feenan, and joining us this evening is Joel Goodman. We're talking about uh, how to start your own web business, basically. Um, we spent the first half of the show. I'm sure you were here. Uh, we talked about kind of how it happened and what that motivation was. And uh, I I find it interesting that Joel, you went into talking about like how you you know you enjoy the strategy part and things like that, and and talking about these designers you know who are fantastic, and I've seen your design work, 
and it is so much <laughs> better than what I can do. That like, I oh yeah, I You're think just... of you when I think of good designers. So let's let's ring that bell. Well, I uh, that makes me feel really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm flattered. Uh, that. I mean, and that's the thing, like I, you know, I, I'm probably not, a, I'm probably way harsher on myself than most people are. Um, but it's, it's more like I have this vision in my head and it's not what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have also seen Joel's designs and worked with them and they're great. They're very contemporary. You should hire his business if you need that kind of work. <laughs> very contemporary. <laughs> well, they're not, you know, you, you laugh, but I have seen work that other quotes designers yeah, yeah. put out yes not contemporary <laughs> i uh i was making and, and for our listeners if you would like your very own Dragon ux podcast sticker we're gonna have some of those soon Ooh, i'm gonna have a stack with me yes. at high ed web as well so you can hit me up there if you want to just grab one from me but i was trying ahead of time to like outline it just to do the vector just to get the outline i wanted and i gave up yep. before i was even halfway through i'm just like no and it turns out sticker mule will do that this isn't a plug for them or they're paying me to say it but you send them your graphic and yeah, they yeah. will just say oh here's the die cut we would recommend it. and i was like go nuts yep that they had that little bit of padding on there and yeah <laughs> are we doing the die cut ones we are doing die cut yes, yes they will be they will be die cut so, uh also not a plug for sticker mule but joel actually referred me to the unix sticker yeah. giveaway they did what well, wasn't giveaway it was a dollar but I got them, and they're awesome. My only gripe is it didn't have any Ruby stickers, but it did have Python and Golang and Bash and Git and everything else. Yeah, I I, uh, I immediately but thought of awesome. you, Aaron, when I, when I saw when that came across. There is an email or I got pushed a, an <laughs> ad or something, but yeah. Um, I would I just want to mention the folks, too. This makes 46. I, I forget because I rotate what I drink so much. I forget how much I like it. I also forget how easy it gets to drink. So I apologize oh, yeah. for all. We haven't even really started the second half yet, but I'm just apologizing for it now because <laughs> if, if you if you get into so makers if you get into like their uh their like limited release like single barrel stuff, it tastes starts just like chocolate. Like it's oh, it's man. crazy. I, makers forty six has a little bit of it, but yeah, they're they're uh they're like limit limited release single hmm. barrels are crazy good. And, and makers forty six like I mean it's not cheap. But it isn't really that expensive. In the grand scheme of whiskey, like it's pretty affordable. And man, yeah, I'm I'm in. Um, let's get this ball rolling though. Uh, okay, so let's see. I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, we're we're talking about how to get started. So I want to. I think the very first question that we need to answer for folks is who should consider starting their own business. And I want to frame this question because. It does take a mentality. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who think they can run a business and it's just not their strength. It's maybe not their strong suit. So let's talk a little bit about what, you know, what you should have, you know, what kind of skills that you should be focusing on, what you should have done beforehand before you just yeah. say, I'm 22 and I can run a business because, you know, we've, we've all said that once. <laughs> And maybe you can. Uh, you know, 22 <laughs> is the right age to make that kind of mistake, though. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not going to hurt yourself too much. Uh, yeah. It's okay to say <laughs> that. Like, it's not, if you're 22 and you're listening, more power to you. And if you think you can run a business and you say, I can do that, that's great. 
Just make sure you can first. Okay to say it. Let's talk about how you do it. <laughs> so like so normally I'd answer a question like this with, you know, something about like, well, you need to be entrepreneurial. But I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, people that aren't entrepreneurial don't think about starting their own business. Like they're happy in their jobs. They're happy moving up or they're happy, you know, trading in one position for something lateral at a better company where they can move up or whatever. Um, so, you know, this kind of assumes that, you know, a person is already a little bit entrepreneurial. They're thinking like, huh, I've, I have, I have this idea for a business or, you know, maybe they, maybe like me in, you know, junior high or early high school, you had an idea for a skate clothing brand and you, you know, <laughs> downloaded some free fonts and, and a pirated version of Photoshop. I, I paid for it later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Adobe. Nobody ever did that. That <laughs> Nobody did that. That was I just know. you. I'm sorry, Adobe. Um, you know, and put together some like, you know, some lousy little, uh, lousy little logo and sent it off for some like grab bag t-shirt deal that I saw where you get t-shirts like three bucks a piece with a single color screen print. And I had tons of t-shirts in my room for a long time because I couldn't sell them. Uh, but at least I tried. Uh, and I had a lot of t-shirts to wear with the same logo on it. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you're that type of person. It could just be that, you know, a lot of people get to the point where uh, they've, they've felt a little bit uh, restrained. They've, uh, maybe thought about having a business in the past, but uh, really it comes down to like you're in your job and like me, you feel like you can't really go any farther. Like maybe there's actually no other position you can get to um, and it's just time to take your smarts out and, and use them. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. it's that, you know, the, the job you're in just isn't, it's not cutting it anymore. Like, you know that there are limitations that you're going to hit and you don't want to do it. Or for me, you know, I was tired of fighting to do the most basic of cool things, like just tooth and nail fighting to, you know, mm -hmm. do, do a, do a Facebook app back, you know, when Facebook apps existed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it helps, it helps to, it helps to have that drive. So it could be entrepreneurial, um, like, you know, deep rooted, it could be just, you know, you're, you're coming up, uh, as a new entrepreneur. Um, and then I, I think second, it's really helpful to have a portfolio of work. So whether you want to be, uh, you know, a designer or you want to be uh, a web development shop, um, if, if you're a developer, get that code up on Git, like have something to show people, uh, you, you know, and it may not be, you know, you may have clients that have no idea, but, you know, chances are they're going to have some program or some tech or maybe the owner's nephew who, you know, you built their last website for 15 bucks or whatever, taking a look at it. It helps to have that code out there and, and to, uh, to be able to show it. And if you're a designer, set up a quick little website, it could be a single page, it could be a WordPress site, it could be whatever, um, you know, with screenshots of some stuff that you've done. Um, and if that stuff's still live, links, if you're proud of it, links uh, out to that stuff. What's What's the right, is there like a good minimum number for a portfolio? Um, it depends on how good your work is. I think like, <laughs> honestly, uh, you know, I think like if you're, if, if you're kind of mid range and I think the majority of people that go out and start their own web development or web, web design shops, they're, they're kind of in the mid range of stuff, you know, they're, and they're a little bit confused about, uh, you know, who their clients are going to be and what market they want to target and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think having, you know, 10 to 15, um, uh, and okay. front loading the really good ones, uh, 
is yeah. is helpful. But I think if you if you're a really good designer and you know you've already been winning awards like three to five, and, and I've 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 done both. Like I've had I've had bravery websites where we have shown all of our design work, and I've had bravery websites where we've shown a highlight of the most recent ones because you know at some point when you've been doing it for three or four years, the stuff you did three or four years ago isn't really gonna sell you because right. that was a long time ago and things change very quickly in in this industry <laughs> um so yeah i it, it really just i think it really just depends on the quality of the work that you have um yeah, that's interesting too to i never thought about the question of what's the right number um but i love that argument of if you're a coder i i tell yeah. people all the time you have to start somewhere and you have yeah. to put code out there for other people to see GitHub's free there's no reason you can't show me what you're capable of in terms of if you want me to hire you. Totally. I need to make time to do that. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I, I went through that this year. I was, I was doing a, I was doing a consulting gig for a university in San Diego. And part of that consulting gig was helping them basically hire their, their dev team um, to, to build out their new website. And so many of the applicants had, they had nothing to show and you know, like they just had a list of like, well, here's a, here are the, here are the scripting languages I know. And, and uh, you know, I've done some websites, but no, they're all private and you can't see them. And it, I mean, that, that is often the case though. Yeah. How am I supposed to judge you on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, obviously I'm going to judge you negatively on that because <laughs> I have no idea, you know, I'm going to presume that you're lying to me until I can actually see the code <laughs> that you put out in the world. But um, yeah, I, I, it's important to show any work that you've done. Uh, and then I think on top of that, um, it, it helps uh, it helps to have leads lined up um, already. When, when I moved to Austin, uh, I had a friend from grad school who was working at a startup here and they needed a designer, um, just an interface designer. And so I got on uh, a retainer with them and designed for them for three or four months. And that was the safety net that we really needed to, to make it less risky. Um, you can look internally, like maybe your current job, you've made yourself indispensable. And if you haven't, maybe like wait six months to step out and make yourself indispensable in those six months, a uh, little, little strategy. Um, so that when you leave, you can just sign a contract to finish up projects that you were doing or to help them think about the next things. Still be making money for, for stuff. You give them a good transition period out as they're hiring the next person. Um, and then, you know, hopefully leave with a good relationship because there's nothing worse than being like, you know. Wait a bitches. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> see ya. Like, I'm going to burn this mother down. Like, you know, you, you don't want to do that. If you, if you. <laughs> You're cool. I really emphasize that when I talk with folks about there are a lot of people who are very willing to leave a job on bad terms, let's say. Hmm. And mm -hmm. I feel like anytime you can not burn a bridge, you should do that road because <laughs> those are yeah. people that if not yeah. your boss, it could be coworkers. It could be a person in another office that you worked with regularly. Those are references. Those are, you know, and that's whether you're starting your own business or just looking for another job. Those are people that when they hear the story of how you left, you know, middle finger in the air, they may not be as flattering for you anymore. <laughs> and that's something that you really have to be mindful of. And so yeah. I think my answer to that, this one is kind of, if you're going to go this route, you have to be a little bit mindful of that, that this, you know, 
my way or the highway mentality. Right. Yeah. It may, it may work for a agency, you know, that yeah. builds its brand that way, but it's not going to work for anybody else. Yeah. And I mean, I have one more point in this that comes, you know, right, right off of that plays into it. It's just, it's very helpful to have uh, built up a really healthy amount of professional respect in your industry before you go on your own. So whether that's, you know, like, like me, I, you know, I did high ed web. I went to tons of conferences. I was active in, you know, different like uh, groups and forums and uh, IRC chats and, you know, back, back before we had Slack. Wow. It's a long time ago. Um, you mean visual, <laughs> you mean visual Slack, visual right? Slack. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I mean, well, I think about, you know, you know, Michael thinking back to your, uh, your dot CMS days, if, if you can, oh, man. if you can think back that far, but I mean, there, there are still people that I, uh, that I develop relationships with in, in IRC and forums and emails, just asking about that stuff and learning through, you know, a very specific content management system and how, you know, how it worked that, that I talked to today and know today. I mean, you know, it, so building, building relationships like that and building good relationships to the point where those people respect you and respect your work only pays dividends in the end. Like, you, you know, those are the people that are going to be, uh, you know, they're going to send you emails and say like, Hey, someone came to me with this job and I'm not doing freelance. Are you interested? Or they're going to say, Hey, we're coming up on a web redesign, or we need <laughs> to build out this, you know, random microsite or whatever. We have this idea. Can you do it? And they're going to think of you because, because you've developed that relationship. Um, so I, I think those, that's, it's a, that's a decent roundup of, of initial things to consider as you're going into it, you know, kind of more philosophical side of stuff, I think. <laughs> just uh, side sidebarring on the one second sidebarring on the uh, portfolio thing. I just thought of this. Um, if you are one of the people who all of your work has so far has been on like intranet or private websites and you don't have anything on Git, um, October is probably when this episode will launch, right? Um, Hacktoberfest. <laughs> So DigitalOcean sponsors Hacktoberfest every year. Um, you can search on GitHub for the Hacktoberfest label. And if you submit three pull requests to repos that have that have signed up with that, um, they will send you a t-shirt. And on top of that, you get pull requests on your GitHub history that you can cite. Um, failing that, uh, doing like the silly puzzles and stuff like um, exorcism.io, which I mentioned before, and some of the other things that Michael and I have mentioned on this show, you know, yeah. write those solutions and put them up in your GitHub repo. Just, I mean, anything at all is better than nothing. And you had to bring that up because I told you before I was looking forward to that this year and I had, I hadn't even <laughs> thought of it. So yep. Next week. Some time. Right, the twenty fifth. Wait, what's today's yeah, date? We're, we're coming up on the end of it, so yeah, yeah next week. October is coming real fast. Um, okay, so let's talk about what people need to think about as they're setting this up. So let's say you are that person. Yeah. Let's say you know. I think uh, the the answer I have too to that question of who should set it up. Make sure that you're setting up your business because you're good at what you do, not because your ego is telling you to do it. And if you're or, there, or both, or both of those things at the same time, but never just the ego. <laughs> yeah, <one>. exactly. <laughs> what uh, let's let's talk about just the set of it, right? Because that in and of yeah. itself, because you're going to run a business now, you're going to be a business person. You need to have a business mentality. So let's think about what goes into some of that. You know, in terms of 
you know, I think, and, and for folks who have listened to a lot of the show now, you will have noticed a trend <laughs> that Aaron and I dip into the higher ed well a lot. We have a lot of experience But there. we do that for a reason, because it is the area we know, it is the experience we have. And I mean, I'm just going to be honest, some of the yeah, best people at their jobs that I know have all come out of that industry. Yeah. And so if you're thinking about setting this up, I think, you know, we need to start there in terms of understanding yeah. what your business no, is, I, right? I, I think, yeah, I think, I think figuring out what, what your focus is going to be is, is really important. I, I remember I was, uh, man, this was maybe two, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, I was giving a talk on, uh, I think it was titled freelancing 101 or something at, at a general assembly uh, here in Austin. And I remember talking to so many people that were like, yeah, I just moved to Austin and I, I'm just going to freelance and do contract work. And I was like, I was like, okay, yeah. You have any work lineup? Like, no. How do I do that? I was like, well, what are you? What kind of work are you do? Like, I just do web design. And it's like you can't, you can't just, be, you can't be, you know, general industry. You can be general industry. You're going to make your life so much harder, um, and for a number of reasons. It's like going to LA to be an actor right. or an yes, actress. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it, it's it's so much harder to. Uh, especially if you live in a place where there, you know, there are other web developers and web designers, um, you know, any, any sort of metro area or any creative town in the country, you're going to have so much uh, competition from people that are trying to do exactly the same thing you are. And they probably know people um, and don't move to one of those cities, just expecting to, to be able to dig in and become a successful freelancer. Uh, you really need to have some kind of a focus. And so, you know, like Michael was saying, the niche that I picked was higher ed because I knew higher ed and I'm able to branch out into, into startups because I now know startups after working with a bunch of them accidentally in Austin. Um, but you know, that maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, med tech, or maybe you're really interested in it and you think there are problems that you can solve there. Maybe you choose med, you know, medical, maybe you are, you know, you know, a great photographer are a great photographer yourself and you can go out and do, uh, you know, restaurant websites. Um, uh, sorry to spoil <laughs> it. The, the more popular and, and famous, the chef, the less they're going to pay you. Um, but as, as uh, I forget what episode number it was, but as one of the episodes on this show talked about restaurants need a lot of help. Um, and, uh, Kiss Pam. Yeah, and, uh, you can always, you know, feel free to to hit me up later, and we can we can talk about my experiences doing restaurant websites too, because they they can be a lot of fun, but they can also be difficult. Or it could it could be anything. You could decide that you want to build websites for lawyers. I don't know, um, but it, it's it's important to it's important to pick something specific that you can, uh, in a sense, own. Um, and can you can you elaborate on why that's important? Like, what are the what's the tacit advantages of going into a niche specifically and specialized. Sure. I, I mean, I think, I think a big part of it is that if you're, if you're an unknown person, um, you know, if you're kind of brand new on the scene in particular, you're, if you're just being a generalist, you're, or, you know, generalist in terms of, uh, you know, what verticals, what industries you're working in, you're going up against a hundred times the number of people that you would for <laughs> and you know depending on your it could be more than that depending on what city you're in if you choose you know restaurants 
yeah, there's going to be a few people around that do that, you know, but you may be going up against five to 10 versus 250 different agent, you know, different agencies or 500 agencies that are doing everything. Um, so it just, it, it, it sets you up for success. That's, that's really the point. Um, and it sets you on a trajectory to, to, to own that as an expert, um, to own that field as, uh, you know, the best for, you know, I, like, I want to be the best in whatever I'm doing. And, you know, I haven't quite hit that in higher ed yet. Um, at least not, no, not like the default that everyone thinks of. I think we do a lot of really, really good work and, and some really great work too. Um, but you know, if I, if I go into any industry, I want to own it and I can't, I can't see myself starting out and owning everything web design, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's, I think that's, uh, that's, that's the main reason I would, I would go with a niche. It cuts down on the competition against you and sets you up for better successes. Okay. And we talked about this a little bit in, I think it was the episode coding nine to five, um, when we were talking about kind of just that process of learning and getting started and, the idea of, especially if you are not a developer that is wanting a new career or something, or, you know, you're somebody, I think the example we used was um, real estate, that if you're a realtor who wants to branch out, your expertise in that field is what makes you right. special. It, what's, it's what gives you that, that advantage right. and that edge that I would never try to go build a real estate website for somebody right now. That, that would be a terrible decision for me because right. I don't know the market. Yeah. I don't know that what competitive advantage they need. Um, I can guess, I can certainly make uh, what I would hope would be educated guesses there, but I think people have, you know, somebody in that field would have a way better advantage and that's where somebody going into that has leverage. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the super non-sexy part of this though, right? Because there is the legal side um, that mm. even if you're freelancing, you need to think about a little bit that oh, yeah. there are taxes to be paid. There are, there are oh, licenses yeah. to be you know acquired in some cases. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I think the first thing is that if you're, if you're going to do business under any name other than your own personal name, uh, you can't just go out and, I mean, you can just go out and do that, but it's illegal. Um, you, you most <laughs> likely need to register uh, what's called a DBA or a doing business as name. Um, usually they're cheap in most states. They're super, super cheap. And you would, you would file that. It's like a hundred or less. Yeah. Right? I think, I think I paid, I want to say I paid like 60 bucks in Austin and I still yeah. own it. And I, yeah. I mean, now I, now I have an LLC. And so, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so you, you'll need to, you'll need to do that. Um, I would also recommend, uh, talking to a lawyer, um, and potentially an accountant. Um, you can, maybe get by with a lawyer or maybe you have a relative or a friend who is a lawyer or is married to a lawyer or dating a lawyer. Um, that works too. Uh, but I think, uh, but pay them. Yeah, right. We're just, <laughs> uh, but there's a, uh, you know, they, they can help you decide whether your business needs to, uh, to incorporate as a limited liability company or an S corp or something else for tax purposes. Um, the way that I did it was I started out with, a DBA and I ran that for about two years. And then when we started making enough money where the, the personal taxes started to hurt, um, I went and formed an LLC cause there's a little bit better in the tax break side of it. Um, an accountant, honestly, there are so many people that want to do their taxes on their own. If you're one of those people, that's awesome. I would rather 
pay my accountant what I do and be able to focus on the work that I'm doing instead of having to hassle with all that. Um, I think that's a time value. It's a time value and you'll never, they won't get things wrong. Uh, (laughs) There's, there's so (laughs) many benefits to paying an accountant. Um, So I, I always, I always recommend an accountant. So one, one additional thing though, is don't just pay the accountant at the end when you're doing your taxes at the beginning, before you start doing anything, talk to the accountant so they can tell you, you know, get, pay them for an hour of the time and get the answers about what things you should be yeah, tracking. Or, or just and, set them up for bookkeeping services too. Like, and then you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. any of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depending on what your opening yeah, capital yeah, is, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But I bet at least find out like what you should be tracking and what sorts of things will matter because at the end of the year, when you're filing, they're going to want to know like, okay, well, did you drive anywhere? Right. You know, what did you purchase this year? And you want to have those receipts, but you don't like a lot of things. You don't need receipts or they're irrelevant. Yeah. And so it just helps keep the signal and noise. The other thing is if you're solo, um, you're going to have to pay and you're, you're, you're doing as a DBA, you're going to have to pay quarterly income tax. Um, and yeah. people don't really tell you that. Uh, and if you don't pay your quarterly, like you actually pay four times a year, uh, you will get a, a pretty hefty fine added on to your, your tax liability at the end of the year. So pay those quarterlies or hire an accountant to manage it for you. And just so our listeners know, for instance, even our silly little podcast here is technically operated under uh, an LLC that I started specifically to compartmentalize my business operations outside Mm -hmm. of my normal day job. Uh, And it's not because it makes me any money because I can assure you that I do not make money, uh, but it, it, it protects (laughs) things. And that's extremely yes. important when you are doing work for people that could negatively impact their business. Because sometimes having, you know, that little clause in the contract of, you know, the hold harmless clause, sometimes that ain't good enough. I look at that and depending on what the situation is, they could say that that's not enforceable yep. in that situation. And that leads me to my next point. Small business insurance is really important, y'all. Uh <laughs> Because for those things, you know, if, if something gets messed up somewhere along the line or, you know, you know, some, some clause is left out of a contract or something, you're going to want to be insured. And, and I mean, to be honest, if you're working with any larger companies uh, ever, if you're working with universities or with corporate clients, they're going to require that you hold small business insurance um, just, just to right. bid on a project. Um, it's actually pretty cheap. Um and there, there's some new one. There, I can't remember the name of it, but there was some new one that I saw recently that I was thinking about switching to. Um, but there are a lot of startups that are uh, kind of entering this uh, this fray of how do we make insurance easy for small business owners? Because because the gig economy and all that, hmm. you know. So let's spend some time now. Let's shift gears <laughs> just a little bit and talk about. So that's the the boring side, the legal side. And every, I don't want to give much information there, advice there, just because literally every state's going to be different. Um, you mentioned the DBA stuff in Kansas. You don't have to file a DBA. Oh, they don't care uh, at all. That's awesome. No, if you're like the, in this case, the drunken UX podcast is a DBA of Fina and LLC. Uh, but I don't have to file that. I don't have to do anything. I just have to say it. Um, every state uh, is going to be different. The tax implications are going to be different. So when we say that uh, you should go talk to a lawyer, talk to an accountant, that's for your own good. And it's spend money to make money. Yeah. Um, it, and it doesn't cost yep. very much. And for instance, here, uh, even in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, small town, um, 
we have a small business development center. It is free to go in there and sit down with one of their folks to talk about your business and what you need to know and consider yeah. from everything from taxes to licensing to copyright to all these things. And most big cities have something like that. So if nothing else, go talk to them and they can at least tell you what to look for. Um, I would say as just as a rule of thumb, as someone who's has, I've done my own taxes since I was 14 and I actually have a degree in accounting as well uh, from many, many, many years ago. But I just as a rule of thumb, when you're figuring out what to charge your clients in terms of knowing what your tax liability is going to be, expect it to be about a third, roughly, give or take. If you're self-employed, I mean, if you're an LLC, it's going to so be a usually a quarter but... depending on what you do mm -hmm. annually. But yeah. So just like kind of earmark that. So let's talk a little bit about the tools from here. Oh, yes. Um, and this can be a very general kind of, you know, topic I as far so as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Everybody bounces around the tools. And I don't want to, like, put a lot of emphasis on anything because the tools can change very yep. quickly. Um, but certainly from the logistical side still, you know, when we talk about whether that's billing, like I've used FreshBooks in the past. I've just used PayPal um, for invoicing. Um, is there anything Square. that you found more effective uh, for yourself, especially as you've grown a little bit? Yeah. So I, I really like the products that allow me to do as many uh, as many tasks that are connected together at the same time. And so, um, so for billing, I want whatever I'm using to also allow me to send out the contracts, to send out the invoices. Well, billing would be the invoices uh, to to track time. Um, allow me to like put in the types of tasks that I'm going to be using and that sort of a thing. Um, so there are a couple that I, that I've, I have used. Um, I keep going back to harvest. I really like harvest, uh, in general. Um, it integrates with QuickBooks. Uh, so my accountant is really happy. Um, and in general, it's, it's just a really good product. Um, there's another one that came out. Um, if you don't want to pay for, uh, for, for that. Because I can understand that. There's another one that came out uh, recently called AndCo, um, like A N D dot co. They uh, they launched last year, uh, and it's it's super. Uh, the design's super modern. There's really interesting stuff. It's it's really made for solo people. So if if it's just you going out, this could be a really good way to kind of like ramp up your billings and uh, and get your your contracts and stuff in order. Uh, it's completely free. Fiverr acquired it earlier this year. Um, hmm. uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool little, little suite. And, and both of those allow you to do, uh, cr credit card transactions and, and, you know, take, take a payment through PayPal or Stripe or, or whatever, uh, as well as giving information for checks. Um, so, so I, I kind of tie billing and time management together in a, in a lot of ways, because sometimes you're not going to be billing a flat rate project. Sometimes you're going to be doing something on retainer or you're going to be doing, uh, an hourly rate. And being able to track that time and have it automatically go into whatever your billing amount is, whatever your hour, hourly rate's going to be, and then put that on the invoice, it just, you know, it saves a bunch of time. You know, we didn't go down this rabbit hole, and it is a huge rabbit hole, but I want to bring it up, uh, going to the idea of who should consider starting their own business. It needs to be somebody that you should be confident in your estimating abilities. Um, Oh yeah, you, there's always a learning curve, but yeah, it's always helpful if you can can do that well. There is nothing that will tank you faster yeah. than bidding a project at you know three months that takes nine, yeah, um, and you're you know 
potentially tied to the amount that you bid or whatever the case may be. So that, that comes into play with time management. Um, I've used wave lately. Uh, I started with QuickBooks. Yeah. Um, I found it was bad. It, I got frustrated with some stuff, uh, but then I came across wave just randomly, I think from a recommendation and it turned out that it does a lot of what I need um, as a very small, you know, I say my, my LLC is very, very tiny. It doesn't do a lot. Um, but it's that's a very effective little yeah. tool for me in my situation. So I would say it's worth a look, at least if you are, you know, looking for something to kind of do just lightweight bookkeeping, accounting. And it's free unless you're doing pay- payroll. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, that's the big thing is it, it could have easily drowned out like the amount of money I'm making on my freelancing <laughs> stuff right now. Yeah. Um, so uh, when we get into then, let's let's change over that's business let's talk about the actual work though in terms of um in particular like i think everybody you know i think we all understand using github at this point for code management um and i I don't necessarily say that to imply that we that github is the answer you could use bitbucket you could use gitlab i've i've used bitbucket (laughs) i've 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 used most of a, them. A code yeah, versioning system of your choice. GitLab yes. is comfortable. And and you don't have to use it for just code. I mean, it's definitely, that's what it was built for, but you can use it to version anything you want. Your, your you know, random copy, you can toss your invoices in there. You can put Sketch or Photoshop files in and it'll version. There are size limits though. Oh, are like, there now? Well, yeah. Yeah. Like I, 100 meg uh, photos. Yeah. Photoshop. It's it's it has to be uh I think it's a hundred meg, um it's pretty I mean it's big, but if you're throwing up like uh, images or whatever yeah. up there, or like six hundred DPI like <laughs> Don't do posters or yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan actually of what uh, syntax.fm the syntax podcast if if in it, and if our listeners don't listen to syntax. I don't know why you're listening to us. Um, <laughs> they're way better at what we do than what we do. Uh, but their know, do site, they drink on their podcast? <laughs> they, they're running a static site generator through GitHub. <laughs> and their show notes and everything are GitHub powered, which is That's awesome. Um, oh, it's, nice. a, it's just a very neat feature. But um, tool-wise, you know, code management is easy. Yeah. What about design? Yeah. So I I design primarily in Sketch these days. Um, there are a lot of people that still use the Adobe Creative Suite. Um, that's perfectly fine. Uh, for me, the the best kind of design management in terms of systems versioning, uh, being able to send it out for comments, uh, team collaboration if you need that, um, is InVision. Um, it's super cool. It's got uh, it's got apps for syncing. Um, they've got uh, all kinds of crazy tools for adding comments and setting up prototypes and things like that. And then they also have uh, they have a plugin for Sketch and for Photoshop that allows you to do on the fly uh, synchronization from the app. So like you're in there, you have to make a change right away. You don't have to hit save, then go and drag it or upload it. Or you just you hit save, you hit a, a shortcut, and it just syncs it back up and updates the the web version of it. Um, it's, it's super cool. Um, it's pretty affordable. I I've used a lot. I've used a lot, a lot, a lot of design kind of organization and versioning stuff over the years. And, um, I think Envision just waited long enough to come out on top. Yeah. And 
And for folks who do design, I'm I hope that names like Sketch and Vision aren't like foreign to you. Um, if they are, this goes back to this idea of make sure you have the experience before you dive too deep into this. <laughs> um, if you are looking for like a a UX slash UI design utility, and you have Creative Suite, Adobe XD is now free. Um, yeah. that was a it's pretty good. Adobe basically gave the middle finger to Envision. They said, you know what? Fuck you. We want to dominate this market. People use Photoshop. So come at us. Every time I see Adobe XD, I can't not see the like grinning emoticon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, Every time. there's also a web-based one called Figma that's super, super cool. Figma. Um, yeah. And I think they use... There'll be links for all these than we do. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have links to everything. Um, and, you know, they're, they're all strong in their own ways. Um, just got to find the one that works for you really. Yeah. Uh, and hosting, I think hosting is an important topic too, because if you're development, even if you just need to set up staging environments to show, you know, a client something before they put it on their right. site. Um, I have my preference. I'm a digital ocean guy. Uh, I, I started on Same. AWS, but digital ocean just kind of just came on top for me. It's so easy and so quick. It's priced. It's yeah. priced really well. It's super easy to set up. Scales um, real easily too. I, I use a couple different things. I think if you're doing WordPress stuff, um, it's easiest to do something like Flywheel, Flywheel or WP Engine. Um, and mostly, it's because they give you free demo sites to just kind of set up what you want. And then when it comes time for the client to pay for it, you can just transition the billing over to them. So unless you want to be managing uh, your own cool. hosting, um, which is a model that you can definitely research and can be lucrative if you don't mind doing that um, or white labeling to one of those services for WordPress sites. It's just easy. There's a lot less you have to do with that. Um, I'm also using a new one called grid pane. That is essentially all these tools that, uh, that WP engine and flywheel have kind of pioneered over the years um, that uh, allow you to use your own virtual hosting. So I'm using DigitalOcean, but they also yeah. support support Vulture. And uh, I mean, you could do AWS on it. Is it Linode? It's another one um, that they support out of the box, and it's it's pretty cool. They're they're still kind of early and and are fixing some stuff. Um, I think I've broken every part of their hosting uh, uh, <laughs> tools, uh, but hopefully they're getting better. Um, and then the last one that I love, and actually the Bravery site is is up on this one, uh, is called Netlify, and it's for static sites. So if you're doing static sites, you can just push these up to Netlify. They serve them from a CDN, and it's free. Cool. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> oh, by the way, so one of the advantages of, uh, I don't know if Bitbucket has this, but I know GitHub and GitLab both have, um, they have a, a project's, like tab or section on any repo that has uh, multiple different swim lanes. You can move issues through them. They yeah. integrate tightly with pull requests yeah. and issues tracking. GitHub's got all that. Um, That's what we've been using instead of like. Trello. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's really solid. And the, um, I mean, like they have other services will integrate with GitHub. Um, but if you're already using GitHub anyways, why not your issue tracking in it? Yep, totally. And the thing I'll point out about uh, WP Engine, when you set up, if because most people will cut their teeth on WordPress early in their careers, um, and certainly later as well. Uh, when you set up sites in WordPress Engine, you can set up the site as a quote-unquote transferable site, which 
And as far as your client goes, exactly. you huh. should be able to sell them on the cost of WordPress engine because it is a great service. <laughs> like, yeah, it's more expensive than HostGator, but you get a lot of value out of that. And for anybody who cares about their business, that's a small price as far as that goes. Um, let's, uh, let's wrap up real quick on one last topic of just the resources. What can we drive people to in terms of if you want to go learn more? Um, I'm a big fan of reading in general. Like I learn well that way. And so, um, one book, because a lot of people do this because they want to work from home because they want to, you know, kind of control their environment. Um, the book from Jason Fried and David Heineiner, uh, the guys behind the uh, base camp, right? Uh, they have a book called Remote. I would absolutely recommend you grab a copy of that and read it before you do anything. Um, I think there's a, a whole lot that can be gleaned from that and um, can help you in terms of thinking about, especially if you're going to start, you know, a lot of these small businesses will start out of your house, out of your home office. You know, what you need to think about in terms of just getting things going and understanding how to balance stuff and and get that that uh that organization going if you can't tell i'm having trouble pulling words out of my mouth now because <laughs> bourbon 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 i can see them floating I know, around right? your head we're we have the hangout going yeah. and it's like i'm sitting here my hands are moving i'm like i know the words they're in here let's get them out let's somebody <laughs> save me there, give promise. me another resource <laughs> uh D david heinmeier hansen is the guy that invented rails oh as did well, he in addition i didn't to know that co-founder boot camp a right. uh, base camp yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's like the guy. DHH um, has a lot of opinions. I don't agree with all of them, but he has a lot of opinions, and he's very interesting. His talks are always very interesting. <laughs> so I'm I'm a big fan of uh, FreelancersUnion.org. Um, I think it's an excellent resource, especially if you're going out on your own. Um, if you are, you should join the union, which is basically just giving them your email address. Um, but they have a lot of resources in terms of like. Yeah, a lot of stuff we talked about earlier, like what are the things you need to think about in getting something set up? Um, and then a lot of just tips, uh, things like how do you deal with, you know, clients that aren't paying you and, you know, the random things that kind of come up that I think if you're, if you're going out on your or own for the knowing first what time, to charge. or knowing what to charge, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's yeah. sort of stuff you just don't really, you know, you don't know you're going to run into as you're just starting out. Um, but, but everyone, everyone hits them like, you know, there, there's a, that, you know, I, I know we're running a little long, but is do you have any advice about that? Because like that's something I hear a lot from people who are getting started, and I still struggle with it myself. Like I have sort of a personal formula I use, but like how do you know what to charge when you're doing? Like yeah, when you were the so whatever's principal. in your head, charge fifteen percent more, and then the <laughs> next time you have a job, uh, charge fifteen percent over that until you get to a point where people are saying no, and then back off your prices, and that's how you know what you should charge. I'm completely serious. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used a very similar technique when I was freelancing because, and Joel, you brought up like my dot CMS right. days. Um, so, and, and I should say dot CMS days. I still use dot CMS in my day to day work. Um, but I used to do a lot of consulting with that CMS for other companies. And I was getting so many requests because there, it was a very niche uh, market and there weren't a lot of people that were uh, consulting in that arena. And so I used price to control demand. You know, it was literally supply and demand in the free market. People kept coming to me and I kept the price until I could manage what was coming in and 
And if you weren't willing to pay it, then yeah. I wasn't willing to give up my time at that stage. And you get to the point where you have an FU number and if someone says yes to it, okay, cool. You're going to make a lot of money and you're not going <laughs> to like it, but hopefully the money is going to, you know, kind of salve that wound for I, a little I bit. I think <laughs> starting out, I think it's safe to charge in the area of about $75 an hour. If you want to put a solid number on it. Agreed. I shouldn't be anywhere under $75 an hour if, if you're starting out in a specialized field. It, it, and if you are specialized, if you truly have going back to the portfolio, the experience, the code, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the companies that have worked with you and you can show this, you know, the sky is kind of the limit. Um, I peaked around 200 an hour for some of my better yep. stuff. I'm not afraid to say that because I think that yep. if you're worth it, you're worth it. Um, can you charge $200 an hour for WordPress work these days? Hell no. No. <laughs> no. You can't even charge standard 150 for WordPress work these days. It's really kind of frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> you you need to, you know, as we're talking about running a business, you need to know the business you're in and, and your market and what you can charge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, specialized design and coding is different from, you know, a platform like WordPress that is very popular and there's a lot of availability uh, in that field. So, if you want to make money, that's your advice. Go dig in. Go find your specialization. That's right. I don't know why I went down that uh, tunnel, but it, it felt like something that could be answered. So let's answer it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Joel, man, I want to thank you for jumping on the show with us tonight. Uh, I, think I can't hear the thunder behind me. We've got a, a squall line coming through. If you know anything about Kansas, uh, it's a little gnarly here all of a sudden. And it wasn't about 15 minutes ago. Awesome. Uh, I want to give you though, before we take off, take five minutes, let's, uh, tell people where they can find you, you know, if they want to <laughs> learn more what you do, if they are interested in hiring you tell folks where you're at, where you're going to be and anything else that you want them to know about you. Yeah, totally. Uh, you can find our website at bravery.co. Um, I'll give you the, the spiel up front because um, we, we're, we're kind of we're kind of changing paths of bravery. We've done a lot of just kind of simple uh, web redesign work, and and like I said earlier, we're moving more into kind of the marketing stuff. But uh, we're, we're trying to really kind of transition into doing service design and product development. And so uh, we're we're really looking for clients that want to do really big, impactful things. This isn't hey. My university website needs a redesign. There are a lot of there are a lot of agencies you can go to, and they're they're going to do a great job. We're looking for how do we actually make that web design work for you in better ways. Um, and so we recently worked with a university in Los Angeles. We built, uh, for instance, a uh, an accepted students kind of onboarding uh, orientation web app platform that integrates with their with their erp and uh and I'll, we honestly basically like destroyed any semblance of melt for them over that period which i'm pretty happy about um that's what we were trying to do and it actually worked um we're, we're looking to solve problems like that like uh you know i i truly believe that uh, that this company that i've been building for the last six years exists 
uh, to improve the reputations, the business functions, and the efficacy of institutions of higher education. We really, really want to propel universities and colleges towards their potential. Um, so we're looking for you know people who have bosses that will actually you know get excited about doing something different and something that's that's actually really useful and and gives them results there are real returns on investment with the stuff that we do um so you can find how to contact me uh on bravery.co there's a big button that says contact bravery it goes right to me um i'm also on twitter uh at joel goodman i'm also on instagram at joel goodman but that's mostly pictures of food and beer and concerts and bread that i'm baking which is great it's like bread yeah, yeah lots bread. of bread Your bread is fantastic <sighs> thank you <laughs> uh, bread, bread's my backup if i if i ever can't get work here anymore i'm just gonna go to bakery and bread all the time which it's always good to have a fail safe <laughs> um but yeah we uh we we want to we want to be a resource for making things better in in the higher education industry um if you're not in higher ed we do a lot of other work too. Um, I've worked with tons of startups. Actually, like WP Engine was one of my cl first clients when I was in Austin. Um, we we build user facing stuff. Um, we we want to we want to build things that make your your users and your visitors uh, feel connected to your to your brand or your product or whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And I think we're pretty good at it. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, hit me up if you'd like. Um, otherwise, I'm always happy to talk to people that are thinking about going out on their own and, um, you know, would love to to answer any questions you have or just, just share, you know, experiences that I've had in the past. Twitter is a great way to hit me up for that. The Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Well, Joel, man, thanks for joining us this evening. We were thrilled to have you on, and I know it's getting late in the evening. Um, I don't know if, if the weather here is pushing down into Texas or not, but uh, uh, if anybody is looking for somebody to help them out, especially if you are in the higher ed space. Me too. I've seen Joel's work personally. I've worked with him myself on other projects. Um, he is a great guy, great designer, good worker. Check out their website, bravery.co. Um, I can't recommend that enough. And... Joe puts out good code. Puts out good code. Um, he wears great the shirts. Code is he very makes good. good bourbon. He makes good bread. I don't know what more you want from us, people. Yeah. No, I mean, like, like some designers make nice-looking code that, like, presents well, but the code underneath is ugly. But Joel's code is good code. I've seen it. I've worked with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll vouch for Joel's code. Well, uh, be sure to connect with us, and you can connect with Joel as well, but you can connect with us on Twitter and Facebook slash drunken ux 
and on Instagram, if you want to see what we're drinking, Instagram.com slash Drunken UX Podcast for now. Also, connect with us on Slack, DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Oh, yeah, Slack. We always forget about Slack. That's my fault. Um, I'm taking I, I'm taking my <laughs> lessons from uh, Aaron on the Instagram to learn how to navigate that, but I like the idea of sharing the drinks. So, um, actually, by the time this is aired, if you go check us out, you can see what we had this evening uh, and, and know that we are true to our word <laughs> uh, in terms of well, what's what's happening here um drunken ux is the is the name of the game be sure to tune in once a month for build process where we interview uh not like necessarily joel in shorter format and just uh what they're doing and and what keeps them inspired and every other wednesday besides build process we have real-time overview where we wrap up uh news articles tutorials whatever we find interesting i think you might find interesting and until next time folks i want you guys to do one thing for me and that is to keep your personas close and your users closer. Do me